We want to turn your Bibles tonight to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for this service. We thank you for your people. What a blessing it is to look out on such a cold and damp night and see so many of your people here who have felt the need in their hearts to come and meet with you. To answer your invitation, as Brother Vic prayed, to come and gather around your word. We thank you for this. And we pray that you would quicken our minds tonight by your spirit and teach us from your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have for a number of weeks been thinking about the truth of the word of God concerning the nation of Israel. And tonight we want to conclude our thoughts on this subject. We've seen from Psalm 83 the people who are the enemies of God, the people who hate God, and the manifestation of their hatred of God is the hatred of his people Israel. And the ultimate end of their hatred is There in Psalm 83 and verse 4. Their purpose, their goal is to come and let us cut them off from being a nation. That the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. Folks, that is nothing less than total and complete annihilation of Israel. And the Jews. Psalm 83 is current and accurate right up to this very moment because it's the descendants of those people who are listed in Psalm 83, the Arab Muslim nations that surround Israel who have the same purpose and goal as their ancestors. And they're being aided and abetted by the nations of the world. And sadly, that includes the government of the United States as controlled by the Democrat Party. But as we talked about last week, these are just the human instruments who are being used to accomplish the goal. The mind behind all of this is that old serpent called the devil and Satan. The history of this hatred of the people of God is laid out right here in Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 12, I should say. We see it in verse 4. The dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. That's a reference to the nation of Israel. Israel is the woman here, and her child, with which she travailed in birth 
and of whom she pained to be delivered of is the man-child of verse 5, the man Christ Jesus. And the interpretation of Israel being the woman here is exactly right. And it is not my intention to go against that interpretation tonight. And I want to stipulate that right at the start. But there is a thought here. There are, uh, um, there is an application that is suggested to us by parallels here that can cause us to see that there is a sense in which we could think of Eve as the woman here. Look back for just a minute to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And look at verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Here are the only two seeds that have ever existed. The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, Eve. It's very plain here that her seed is the man-child that we read about in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 5. The man Christ Jesus. He is the promised seed whose heel would be, would be bruised by the serpent on the cross of Calvary. But who through his death would bruise the heel, would crush, would destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And these prophetic words are spoken directly to the serpent. And it's interesting in verse 16, after the Lord gives the prophecy of the coming seed of the woman, that he immediately tells Eve in verse 16, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. I penciled the reference, Revelation 12, 2 beside these words. Because as we think of Eve as being this woman, and that's what we want to do tonight, the Lord warns her about what it means to be with child, what it's going to mean to be with child, the coming seed. He warns Eve about how she will cry and travail in birth and pain to be delivered. 
This is when the dragon, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, began to stand, I believe, before the woman Eve. Look over a page at chapter 4 of Genesis and verse 1. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Eve gives birth to two boys, Cain and Abel. And what we see here is that Cain rejected the message of the coming Lamb of God. And in place of the blood of the lamb, Cain offered a bloodless sacrifice, the fruit of the ground that was cursed. And so with Abel, the younger son, the son who by faith offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, so with Abel begins the line through which the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come. And what happened? What happened? Well, we see it there in verse 8. Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Cain who rejected the message of the truth, becomes the human instrument through which Satan, in effect, stands in front of the woman and devours Abel, the beginning of the line through which the Lord Jesus would come in an attempt to prevent him from coming into the world. Now look at chapter 4 and verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God said, She hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Now, the view of some is that Eve believed that her firstborn son Cain was the promised seed of Genesis 3.15. And they based that on her words in verse 1 when Cain was born and she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Dr. Henry Morris mentions that view as a possibility in, in his note on Genesis 4 and verse 1. I don't think that's the case. I think sometimes that we forget just how smart these people were. They were at the top not of the food chain, but they were at the top of the brain chain, if you will. A chain that was so strong that Adam could name 
by some estimates, 3,000 animals that the Lord brought to him to name and named them without hesitation and remember what he named them without duplicating a single one. Try that sometime. I can't even remember my son's names at times. I'm sure all of you have had the experience that you go through all of your children to finally get to the name of the one you want to talk to. It's, it's astounding to me that Adam could do that. The, the brain chain, and I don't know of a better term to use, was so strong and with such memory capacity in these people that it would be 2,500 years before it would be necessary to write the Word of God on earth. That's how strong the brain chain was in the beginning. And that chain, in spite of humanistic thought, that chain has been in decline ever since. We aren't the smartest people that have ever lived on the face of the earth. But I mention this because I believe that Eve understood the Lord's words in Genesis 3.15. When he said that this coming redeemer would be the seed of the woman. And I believe she understood that for two reasons. First of all, she understood that her children were the seed of a man. They were conceived by the union of she and her husband, Adam. And therefore, the birth of this coming seed was going to be miraculous. Because he was not going to be born the way that her children were born. He would be the seed of a woman only, not the seed of a man. He wouldn't have an earthly father as her children had. The second reason I believe that she understood it is the Lord's use of the word seed. The very meaning of that word is referring to descendants. It's referring to those who would come after. It's referring to Posterity, God's use of that word told Eve that the promised seed would come, but he would come through future generations. Now, she may have thought that Cain was the first in the line of these future generations. She may have thought that. But I do not believe that she thought Cain was that seed. And so when she conceives again here in verse 25 and she bears a son and calls his name Seth, she says, for God hath appointed me another seed, another posterity, if you will. And he was also the seed of a man, Adam, instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And so what Eve understands now is that it wasn't Cain who was the first in the line of these future generations through which the promised seed would come. What she understood now is that Cain, as Dr. Henry Morris points out, was the first in the line of the seed of the serpent. 
Eve now knows that it was Abel. He was the first in the line of these future generations through which the promised seed would come. And now is Seth, another seed of Adam and Eve, who God appointed to replace Abel. And that's exactly what we see in the New Testament. Now, I'd like for you to turn over to Luke chapter 3, if you will. Luke chapter 3. The things that we're going to talk about, or that we are talking about tonight, are amazing to me. And an example of the absolute perfection of this book. Luke chapter 3. In the New Testament, we have two genealogies of the Lord Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, we have the genealogy of Joseph. We read in Matthew 1.16, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary. And that 16th verse is the last time that we find the word begat in Matthew chapter 1. We find it over and over and over. It's been used in that genealogy because all of the children in that genealogy are the offspring of human fathers. And so we read that word over and over. But that word stops with Joseph. He's the last one to be begotten in this genealogy. The next person mentioned in this genealogy is Jesus. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom, that refers back to Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Here's the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. The Lord Jesus is not the seed of a man. He was not begotten by a man as all the others were in the genealogy that represents the history there of the Old Testament. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. So Matthew's genealogy is the genealogy of Joseph. Joseph who was a son of David and a son of Abraham. Now look at Luke's genealogy. Here in verse 23, Joseph is called the son of Heli. But Matthew tells us that he is the son, he was begotten by Jacob. So why does Luke call Joseph the son of Heli? Well, he does that for the same reason that by the marriage relationship, those of you who are married, you are the son of the father of your wife. We read about that relationship in the Old Testament when Saul calls David his son. Why did he call him that? Because he was married to his daughter. Joseph was Heli's son because he was married to his daughter Mary. And so the genealogy that we have here in Luke chapter 3 is the genealogy of Mary. Now, look at verse 38. This genealogy goes backward, if you will. Matthews begins with Abraham and comes down the seed, comes down through the generations to 
the Lord Jesus. Luke's genealogy begins with Jesus and goes back through the generations to Adam and to God. It's, it's, it's very, it's a blessing to think about this. In verse 23, Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. So the genealogy begins with him being as was supposed the son of Joseph. But then we get down to verse 38. And who does the genealogy ends with? It, it, it ends with the Lord Jesus. It goes back to the beginning, and that's where he is. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He proceeded forth and came from God. He is the Son of God. That's why we see this language in verse 38. And it goes back to verse 23. And then verse 38 tells us who he is. He's the Son of God. I, I, I just find the perfection of this book to be amazing. But look at verse 38 and notice the genealogy. Adam. And what's the next name mentioned? Seth. Abel's name's not here. And Eve told us why back in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 25. For God hath appointed me another seed, Seth, Instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Cain became the human instrument through which Satan, in effect, began to stand in front of the woman to devour her seed. Abel was the beginning of the seed, the line through which Christ would come. And what his purpose was, we talked about this in great detail, I think, last week. His purpose is to prevent the seed from coming into the world. But God appointed another seed, Seth. And the line continues. And if you keep reading backward through these verses, look at the names that you come across. You'll come across the names that we find in the genealogy of Genesis chapter 11. Noah and Shem down to Terah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, the nation of Israel. And so this genealogy is not only the ge genealogy of Mary, it's the genealogy of Eve. And what we learn here is that the hatred of the woman by Satan began with Eve. His standing before the woman to devour her child as soon as it was born to prevent the man-child, the man Christ Jesus, from coming into the world began with Eve. And this is important, I believe, because it means, it gives us an idea when we think about it, that this hatred and this persecution of the nation of Israel has been going on for nearly 6,000 years. It's not new. It's been going on since the beginning. 
And I want to give you something to think about. And it's just a thought. But to think about how this persecution seems to come to a peak before the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. It came to a peak in Egypt with the command of Pharaoh to kill all the male babies at the time when God was about to fulfill his promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, to Israel, to bring his people out of Egypt and take them into the land that he had given to their fathers. It came to a peak at the time of the fulfillment of the prophecies of the first coming of the Lord Jesus. This hatred of Israel came to a peak with the command of Herod. We read about it in Matthew chapter 1. To kill all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under. Sometimes just sit down and think about how many children that was. Thousands of children. It came to a peak when the fullness of the time was come and God was sending forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. It came to a peak again in the late 1930s and 40s as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the regathering of the Jews into their homeland approached. We remember what happened there. The extermination of six million Jews by Adolf Hitler. And now, this hatred of the Jews and the nation of Israel is peaking again. I want you to listen to just a few of the headlines. We don't have time to read the stories behind them, but I, the, the headlines really tell the story. Wake Forest, right here in North Carolina. Wake Forest professor resigns after saying she would have been tempted to shoot up Israeli music festival. Stanford University students hold sit-in to stop genocide, get concerned about genocide when? After Israel's response to the Hamas terrorist attack that killed over 1,400 people. They didn't sit in over that against Hamas. They had their sit-in, and it went on for days, when Israel, when the Jews responded, that was genocide. This one is heartbreaking. Eyewitness recounts death of Jewish protester. That Jewish protester was a man by the name of Paul Kessler. He was 69 years old. And he was just there at a rally supporting Israel. And he was struck in the head with a megaphone by one of the pro 
Palestinian protesters on the other side. I'll try to pronounce his name. Loe Al-Naji. And this man was not, who, who killed Paul Kessler, was not some uh, thug, as we think of that word. He's a computer science teacher at Moore Park College in California. Senator Liz Warren cries over alarming Islamophobia as Jews are attacked across America. Folks, I want to tell you something. The Biden administration is twisting themselves into a pretzel to try to equate anti-Semitism in this country and Islamophobia. Can I ask you a question tonight? Where's the Islamophobia? I can't find one headline to read you about it. Pro-Palestinian group blocks Fayetteville Street right here in North Carolina during rally in Raleigh. Cornell student charged with threatening to shoot slit throats of Jewish students. China joins Hamas, erases Israel from maps. They don't want to even have the nation of Israel on, on maps. They don't even, even designate it that way. See, this gets back to the goal of those who hate God, who the, uh, the goal of those who are the enemies of God. Let's cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. Here's another headline. California is the eye of the Jew-hating storm ravaging campuses. This headline said, God help us. Majority of young people say Hamas was justified in its savagery. <clears throat> White House responds after anti-Semitic lynch mob hunts Jews at Russian airport. You might have seen that story on the news. This plane landed and this mob got wind that it was a plane, a flight from Israel, and so they're, they're there. They're there to drag the Jews off the plane and take them away. Jared Kushner, Donald Trump's son-in-law, he's Jewish, by the way, which is, you know, it's always interesting to me how Donald Trump is called, called anti-Semitic. He did more for the nation of Israel than any other president has ever done. I heard somebody, I wish I could have written them down as he was talking about, I heard somebody list 21 things he did for the nation of Israel. And this is a man whose daughter is married to a Jewish, a Jew, Jared Kushner. She's become a Jew. Their children are Jewish, and he's anti-Semitic. That's the left for you. But Jared, Jared Kushner says American Jews are safer in Saudi Arabia than on U.S. college campuses. That's saying something. Students attempt to burn Israeli flag in truck bed before attack against pro-Israel students. Back to North Carolina, Jewish flag in front of Nash County Church vandalized as war between Israel and Hamas escalates. Brooklyn Bridge shut down by pro-Hamas mob as anti-Semitism rages in New York. 
anti-Semitic attacks jump over 300% in New York City. And this is from the New York Post. It's an article that was written by John Podoritz. He says, rather than protecting Jews, we're being told to stay home. He wrote this after a group of Jewish college kids found themselves in a position where they had to barricade themselves inside a library right in the center of Greenwich Village while a mob, a mob of terrorists, pro-Hamas supporters, anti-Semites, banged on the, the doors that were locked, trying to get at them. And it's not just in New York City. FBI Director Christopher Wray was testifying before the um, Senate Homeland Security Committee. And I want to read you what he says. The reality is that the Jewish community is uniquely targeted by pretty much every terrorist organization across the spectrum. And when you look at a group that makes up 2.4% roughly of the American population, it should be jarring to everyone that that same population accounts for something like 60% of all religious-based hate crimes. And so they need our help. They need our help. They're getting it from racially and ethnic, ethnically motivated violent extremists. ISIS-inspired violent extremists and foreign terrorist organizations. That is a threat that is reaching, in some ways, sort of historic levels. That's what the FBI director said. This hatred of the Jews, this hatred of Israel is peaking again. I want you to think about this. It is peaking again. And what prophetic event is next on God's calendar? The return of the Lord Jesus to the air. To take the church out of this world. And then what follows is the 70th week of Daniel, the seven years of tribulation, the time that is described as the time of Jacob's trouble. When God is going to fulfill his word, he's going to again turn his attention to the Jews. And he's going to bring them through, a third of them through, the tribulation. And they're going to recognize him. And he's going to recognize them. They're going to acknowledge him as the one that they pierced. They're going to look on him whom they pierced. So here's this surge, this increase, this unprecedented increase. That's from the FBI director, and that man is no conservative, by the way. Are we paying attention? Are we paying attention? We better be. And I say that because... 
we, we talked about this last week. The dragon is wroth with another woman. And that woman is the bride of Christ, the church. And he hates the church and he's wroth with the church because, it, because it's the church of Jesus Christ that keeps the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Back to the same two reasons that the devil hates the Jews and Israel. To them pertains the giving of the law and it is through Israel as pertaining to the flesh that Christ came. The Lord is coming very soon. Are we ready? We don't know the day or the hour, but we know the times and the seasons. And now, more than ever, those who are lost need to look and live. Look to the cross of Calvary and trust the Lord Jesus to be your Savior and he'll give you life. Look and live. Those who are saved need to live and look. We need to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And while we are living, we need to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity tonight to study your word together. We thank you for these things. We thank you for the perfection of your word. And Father, we pray that we would not miss, we would not miss the things that are going on around us and just dismiss them as things that have happened before. We're, we're living at the end of this present age. The end of all things is at hand. And we pray for those who might be lost, that they would see that and understand that their opportunity to be saved, the day of grace, is drawing to a close. And before it's too late, they need to trust you as their Savior. And those of us who are saved, while it is still the day of grace, while it is still today, while we still have the opportunity to walk with you and serve you, we pray that we would do that and be found faithful when you come. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.